0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. The pastor had been preaching uh, on the importance of daily Bible reading and uh, he and his wife were invited to a member's house uh, for a meal. And, and while there, the pastor's wife saw a note on the, the wife's calendar on her, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, refrigerator And here's what it said, pastor and missus for dinner, and then in parentheses, dust all Bibles. Well, hypocrisy, presenting ourselves as something that we know that we're not, is one of the most subtle and dangerous of sins. Seven times Jesus thundered against the religious leaders of his day. He said, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Seven times there in Matthew 23. He warned the disciples in Luke 12, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he plainly told them what he was referring to in that leaven, it's hypocrisy. Leaven spreads subtly and pervasively, thoroughly (laughs) throughout the whole lump of dough. Well, so does hypocrisy. It's a perpetual danger for religious people, and especially for the religious leaders. It's the root sin that Paul is confronting in our text this morning. Now, from Romans one eighteen all the way through 3.20, we've talked about this before, Paul shows why people need the gospel of God's righteousness imputed to believing sinners. It's because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, first in verses 18 through 32, he shows how the pagans who suppress that truth of God in unrighteousness, how they are guilty before God and they are without excuse. Then in chapter two, verses one through 16, which we've just covered over the last couple of weeks, uh, he shows how outwardly moral people have violated their own standards and therefore are guilty before God. And in doing so, he, he kind of quietly sneaks up on the Jews who prided themselves on their special standing before God. But he doesn't mention them by name until today in verse 17. Up to this point, they have nodded in approval as Paul just indicts the Gentiles. But now he springs the trap on them. The the Jew thought himself exempt from God's judgment uh, on three particular grounds. Number one, he was a son of Abraham, not a Gentile dog. Number two, unlike the pagans, he had God's law that was revealed to Moses on the mountain. So he's a son of Abraham. He has the law. Number three, he was circumcised. Again, that's in contrast to the defiled Gentiles. Well, in today's and next week's and the previous passage, Paul shows how being a Jew by birth cannot save anyone. That's in verses 17 and, Lord willing, next week in verse 28 and 29. Then he shows how having the law cannot save those who do not keep it. And that's what we're looking at this morning in 17 through 24. And then again next week, how being circumcised in the flesh is really of no avail to the man that does not keep the entire law, All right? So like I said, well, that's 25 through 29, and Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. Now in our text, Paul focuses mainly on the law. We see it in verse 17, 18, 20, and twice in 23, He's applying the point of chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And the Jews, they're not going to escape God's judgment because they were Jews and possessed the law, unless they obeyed the law, which we know that nobody did perfectly except Jesus. So he exposes their hypocrisy and he shows the spiritual devastation of hypocrisy now our main point this morning is this hypocrisy deceives the hypocrite it damages unbelievers and ultimately it dishonors God let's pray Father, as we go through your word this morning, we pray that you would speak that truth into our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand these truths, Father, so that we can, in fact, impl- apply them to our lives. It's not just for head knowledge. Uh, scripture is for not just information, but transformation. So, Father, we leave that in your hands and ask that you do it this morning uh, for your honor, for your sake, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, hypocrites don't get into hypocrisy deliberately by thinking, you know, I'd like to bring God's judgment down on me today, so I'm just going to be a hypocrite. I think that's the way to go. No, it's due to pride. They think, I want people to respect me. And if they know the real me, they're not going to respect me. So I've got to keep up a good front. Besides, everyone does it to some extent. And, And you know what? That is true. We all do it to some extent. So he tries to impress others, forgetting that God examines the heart. He ends up deceiving himself in the worst way. Now, at the heart of the of this process is this basic principle, and this is where we're going to spend most of, most of our time. Is point number one: hypocrisy deceives the hypocrite because he knows the truth but doesn't do it, doesn't obey it. Uh, James 122 states the same principle. James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. So to hear God's law and just hear it and not to do anything about it, uh, that is deceiving yourself. Now, these Jews that Paul confronts, they felt secure before God because of their religious heritage as Jews. They had God's law. They could confidently teach it to others. Uh, But they were deceived because they were hearers of the law only and not doers. Now, we all fall easily into this trap of trying to impress others with just how spiritual we are while our hearts are actually far from God. So we need to apply these verses carefully to our own hearts. Paul shows us five ways that the hypocrite is deceived. A... The hypocrite is deceived because he may know the doctrine of election, but he misapplies it. Paul first hits the Jews up for taking pride in uh, their birth as a Jew. And he's gonna hit this again in verse 28 and 29. When Jesus confronted the Jews with being enslaved to sin, do you remember their response? They arrogantly pointed to the fact that they were children of Abraham and even made the ridiculous statement that they had never been enslaved to anyone. Seems like they forgot about Egypt. They knew that they were God's elect, God's chosen people, but they grossly misapplied it. Way back in Deuteronomy 7, Mo- Moses told the Jews, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, if that's all that you heard, that, that would be kind of a source of, pride, couldn't it? Out of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of different peoples on the earth, God chose us. But you see, Moses knew that they were prone to get puffed up with pride, thinking God chose them because they deserved it. Why else would He choose us? So then he goes on to tell them that He didn't choose them because of anything in them, but rather because of His love and His faithfulness to His covenant promises to their forefathers. I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, therefore I'm choosing you now. It's not because of you, it's because of promises I made to your forefathers. Well, just as uh, God chose the Jews to be His people, so He chooses us to believe in Christ and to be His people. He didn't do this because He foresaw anything of merit in us, which includes our faith. Rather, He did it to display His unmerited favor. What do we call that? His grace so that we would glorify Him. So if you boast in being one of God's elect, then you've missed the entire point of the doctrine of election. Knowing that God chose us in spite of our sin, that should humble us and cause us to glorify Him for His mercy and His love all the more will be the hypocrite is deceived because he knows God's commandments, but he doesn't obey them on the heart level. Paul says to the Jew, you rely on the law. Now, all the things that that Paul mentions in verses 17 through 20, they're good things in and of themselves. There were many advantages to being a Jew. It's good to rely on God's law if you truly obey it. It's good to know His will and to be morally discerning. The problem was that the Jews relied on the fact that they had received God's law as if it would magically protect them whether they obeyed it or not. Now, Paul probably had in mind Micah 3.11. This is where the prophet rebuked the Jewish leaders for their sin And then he said, yet they lean on the Lord, saying, is not the Lord in our midst? Certainly will nothing will come upon us. Well, in the Septuagint, the word lean upon is the same rather uncommon Greek verb that Paul uses to say they rely on the law. So the Jew in Paul's day thought that relying on the law would protect them from judgment, even though they disobeyed it. Now, of course, the Jews did obey obey some of the external requirements of the law. They were fastidious about ceremonial um, um, cleanliness. They meticulously tithed uh, even their table spices. They fasted and prayed at the stipulated times. But Jesus rebukes them because they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. They knew God's commandments but they just kept those that could be seen by men so that they appeared to be following the law. They didn't seek to please God from the heart. Hypocrisy is all about maintaining outward appearances with no regard to obedience from the heart. We'll see the hypocrite is deceived because he boasts in God, not to honor God, that's what we were talking about a minute ago, to magnify God, we, we, we give him thanksgiving, but they do it to honor themselves. Paul says in verse 17 you boast in God again this is a good thing to do in and of itself Jeremiah in chapter 9 beginning of verse 23 says thus says the Lord let not the wise man boast of his wisdom let not the strong man boast of his strength let not the rich man boast of his riches but let him who boasts boasts of this that he understands and knows me this is God speaking that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So yeah, there is there are good ways to boast about God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, but by His doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written... Guess who he's going to quote? Jeremiah, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So boasting in the Lord is good if our aim is to give him all the glory for our salvation. But Paul's Jewish readers were boasting in God in the sense of elevating themselves above those pagan Gentiles who didn't know God. It was a form of spiritual pride where they said, we know the only true God, but you don't. Therefore, we're better than you. They were like the super spiritual faction in Corinth. Some were saying, I am of Paul. Others, I am of Apollos. And still others, I am of Cephas, Peter. But some boasted, I am of Christ. They were boasting in God, but it wasn't to honor God. They were honoring themselves. And they were deceived by their very own hypocrisy. Well, D, the hypocrite is deceived because he knows the theological fine points, not for the purpose of obedience, but simply to impress others. Paul says in verse 18, you know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law. Now, again, those are good things in and of themselves. We should be diligent to study God's word so that we will know his will. His word teaches us discernment, so that we can approve, as Paul says, the things that are essential. Now, this refers to moral discernment. Charles Hodge, he comments on this phrase saying, it was not their moral judgments, but their moral conduct that was at fault. They had the law, and they knew what it said, they just didn't follow it. It's good to be instructed out of the law, that is, God's Word. Biblical and theological knowledge is a good thing in that it helps us know God uh, and His ways as He has revealed Himself. But the goal of understanding theology is never to be able to win arguments or impress others with your great knowledge. Rather, it should humble our hearts before God and lead us to worship Him more fervently and obey Him more thoroughly." Well, then Paul turns to how his Jewish readers applied those spiritual privileges that we're talking about. We learn a final way that hypocrisy deceives us, and that's E, the hypocrite is deceived because he confidently teaches others but does not apply the word to himself. Paul continues in verses 19 and 20. You are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You see, God appointed Israel to be a light to the nations, to open blind eyes. That comes from Isaiah 42. If it was done with humility, it was a proper thing to do. But everyone who teaches God's Word must first apply it to himself. Knowledge without obedience puffs up with pride. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 8.1. And pride, of course, is the root of hypocrisy. Spiritually proud hypocrites who have a lot of knowledge without obedience, they look down on the blind, the foolish, and the immature that they teach. But when you apply the law to yourself first... It humbles you as you realize where you've come from and how much further you have to go. You realize that if God had not graciously shed His light on you, you'd still be in the dark as well. Now, preaching is a hazardous occupation. You aim your biblical arrows at your congregation, uh, intending to hit them you know, where they need to change. But you quickly discover that God's Word is not just an arrow, it's a boomerang. It comes back and it clobbers the preacher with how he needs to change. So before we teach others, we need to apply the Word to our own hearts. I just thought of a verse. It happens every now and then. Uh, Ezra 10. This is talking about Ezra. He was one of the people that came back um, with the Israelites and he's he's a special fella yep here it is uh, see God didn't hide it from me today uh, Ezra 710 talking about it for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the uh, law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel what did he do he learned it he did it then he taught it that's pretty good, ain't it? That's what we need to do. We just don't read it to know it. That's that's a solid foundation for uh, being a hypocrite, <laughs> doing that. No, you read it, you do it, then you teach it. Interesting, huh? Well, Paul is again going to confront these uh, Jewish teachers in verses 21 and 22. He says, you then who teach others... Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And then this kind of thorny one. You who, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Hmm. Well, Paul's first two examples, they're easy enough to understand. Sadly, we've all known uh, of preachers who have done what he accuses the Jews of doing here. They have preached against stealing, but then it comes out that they were actually embezzling money from the church. Or they preached against adultery, uh, but they're exposed for committing that very sin. It happened with Jewish religious leaders in uh, Paul's day, and it still happens today. And whenever it happens, it is a spiritual tragedy But what does Paul mean when he accuses the Jews of robbing temples? Interesting. Almost all scholars agree that this doesn't refer to sacrilege concerning their own temple, but rather to robbing pagan temples to get their idols or the gold and then selling them. we really don't have much evidence from history that the Jews were known for robbing pagan temples. Moses warned the Israelites that when they conquered pagan nations, they must destroy the pagan idols with fire and not covet the gold or silver that were on them. However, in Acts, it's funny that one reference we do have comes from scripture. In Acts 19.37, we find a town clerk. There's this big riot, uh, 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 an uprise, and he quiets this Ephesian riot and he said of Paul and of his men, here's what he said, these men are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So maybe (laughs) the practice was more widespread than we actually know about. It's still kind of puzzling though why Paul picked these three sins to bring against the jews now some jewish religious leaders they would have been guilty of such flagrant sins but most jews would probably have said yes paul we agree that those sins are terrible shame on anyone who does them but we don't do them so why does paul bring up these sins Well, he he may have been picking especially shocking sins as examples to argue that the Jews did not keep the law that they possessed and taught. He could be saying that although not all Jews did these things, the fact that some do them illustrates that having the law and teaching it does not spare you from God's judgment if you're in fact not practicing it. Douglas Moo, he explains, it is not then that all Jews commit these sins, but that these sins are representative of the contradiction between claim and conduct. That's a good definition of a hypocrite when there's a discrepancy between claim and conduct. Okay, and he says that pervades Judaism. So to summarize, Paul is saying that hypocrisy deceives the hypocrite because he knows the truth, but he doesn't obey it. His knowledge feeds his pride rather than humbling him because he doesn't examine his own heart and teach himself first. But you know what? Hypocrisy not only deceives the hypocrite, number two, hypocrisy damages unbelievers. Verse 24 says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul is actually citing Isaiah 52, five there where because of Israel's sin... The nation had been destroyed, and people were taken into captivity. And because of their sin, the Gentiles mocked the Israelites' God, Yahweh, because uh, uh, He was not, in their minds, able to deliver them. Your God must not be strong. That's why we conquered you. But the real cause of their captivity was not God's inability to rescue, but rather Israel's disobedience. It made their God look bad. The point is, if we tell others that we're Christians, but we're living in disobedience to God, unbelievers will mock the Christian faith. If a professing Christian is dishonest in business or immoral in his personal life or abusive toward his family, uh, the world concludes, why follow their God? Who needs that kind of life? And while God is sovereign in saving the elect, humanly speaking, a sinning Christian keeps a needy sinner from the only good news that can save him. We're supposed to be a light to those in darkness, but how often do we find ourselves in darkness as well because we're not obeying God's Word You see, you may be the only Bible that those in the world around us ever have a chance to read. Our lives should make them want to know our God. Now, hypocrisy deceives the hypocrite. It damages unbelievers. And finally, and most seriously, hypocrisy dishonors God. Verse 23 could be a rhetorical question, or it may be read as a statement. The Greek allows both. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So this is the root sin of all sin, to dishonor or not to glorify God. Remember, we're going to read here a little bit, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. That's the ultimate end. In Romans 1.21, the Jews would have cheered as Paul indicts the Gentiles because they did not honor, give, honor God nor give Him thanks. But now Paul brings that same charge against the Jews. God chose Israel to be a glory to Him, but by their disobedience, they have failed to honor God. In the same way, God chose us to be to the praise of the glory of His grace. That's Ephesians one six. But if we disobey His word, we are actually dishonoring Him. Sometimes living in obedience to God's word is presented as a path to blessing, and it is. If we obey God's words by loving our wives as Christ loved the church, and if we consistently showed God's kindness and grace toward our children, guess what? We'd probably be blessed with happy families. God knows what is best for us, us, and obedience to His word brings blessing. Disobedience always brings pain and trouble. But the main reason that we should want to obey God is not to be blessed, although that could be a product, byproduct. Uh, it, it's that God's holy name would not be dishonored. He is infinitely worthy of all honor and glory and praise. So we should fear the sin of hypocrisy, of putting a veneer of godliness over disobedient hearts because we don't want to dis, dishonor the all-glorious God who saved us for His glory. So this morning, my question is rather simple. What is your current relationship with hypocrisy? Is it to be found anywhere in your life? Let's pray. Father, pray that you would just uh, take the words that have been spoken, Father, and use them to uh, shine a light into each of our hearts as we struggle with this sin of hypocrisy at at various levels. And God, I pray that you would uh, convict us of that. Uh, Father, help us to repent. Father, to be sincere in our faith and not hypocritical. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the ultimate sort of hypocrisy is for you to be sitting out here, maybe you've been sitting out there for a long time, pretending to be a Christian, and in your heart you know you don't know God. You've never asked God to forgive you of your sins. You've never trusted in Jesus and what He did on the cross in His death, burial, and resurrection, what Paul calls the essence of the gospel. You've never trusted Christ with your eternity, but you still feel safe because you can put on a a good face. Hey, listen, there's a day coming when we're not going to be here and you're going to be standing alone before God, the creator of the universe. He's going to want to know about your relationship to his son. Granted, he already knows, but that's what he's going to be looking at. That's what he's going to be considering. Are you going to be standing there in the righteousness of Christ or in your guilt, in your hypocrisy, saying, but I tried. We've already seen... We're without excuse. Okay, the only our only remedy is Christ. If you know, there, if you know there, that you're in that type of situation, man, run, flee, get out, run to the cross. Right, the song that we sang earlier: "My my worth is not in what I own," and ultimately, it tells us where our worth is found at the cross. Is that where your worth is found today? Anything else? Is probably filled with hypocrisy to some level. I hope you can turn to Jesus today. He'll be your Savior. If you're a Christian, yeah, we still deal with hypocrisy because we want people, like I said, we want people to like us, right? So we put on this face. We're, we, we're guarded. We have a, a facade that we put on. You know, I'm happy. How you doing? Fine. And you know that your personal world is kind of falling apart, you may be a believer, but you're not trusting God in whatever's going on in your life. And we all have a tendency to do that. Well, again, set aside that hypocrisy. Turn to God. He knows your heart. I'll tell you what. I, I, I'm just thinking right now, out loud, this has kind of got to be funny to God when somebody tries to be a hypocrite with Him. As if, he, as if they can fool God. No. As a believer... You need God, but you may need another believer to come along beside you. You may need to share your story with somebody else so they can pray for you, pray with you, help you out. Don't let any type of hypocrisy or, or, or false pride get in your way of becoming what God fully wants for you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.